When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. And with the ginormo sales either already underway or launching tomorrow, we are going to be serving you around the clock, giving you the latest, greatest deals for your Christmas shopping. That's right. Here we are this early in October, and this is the second biggest week for bargains for Christmas this year. So just stay with us on Clark Deals, and we will keep you up to date on what's going on at Walmart, Amazon, Target, Best Buy, and others as they try to get you to front load your Christmas shopping now for a number of reasons I shared with you last week. Just know, don't miss the opportunity of the sales that are going to occur very heavily through this week and most intensely tomorrow and Wednesday. I want to tell you that we've had so much interest in Robinhood, the app for your iPhone or Android that allows an individual to buy and sell stocks very easily, free of commission. Robinhood really was a game changer for the investing world and forced single-handedly by the sheer number of people that signed up for Robinhood accounts in the millions, forced the traditional discount stock brokerage industry to follow it to zero trading costs. But along the way, Robinhood has had significant growing pains and is right now embroiled in a customer-no-service disaster. A very large number, the number is unknown at this point, of Robinhood customers have had their accounts looted. Criminals have figured out how to get into people's accounts, change information, and run off with all the people's money. Now, that's the first part of this. The second part is that even somebody who's constantly on their Robinhood app may see trades taking place that they didn't want and things like that, and you can't call and talk to anybody at Robinhood. There are media reports in the financial press and in the general media about the incredible frustration of people who've seen their money that was in their Robinhood accounts vanish, and Robinhood just shrugs their shoulders. In the latest announcement from Robinhood, they basically said, not their problem. The issue is not in their systems, the company put out in a statement. And then they said, quote, we're actively working with those impacted 
to secure their accounts. But that is such a non-answer. Robinhood is going to have to grow up. And part of growing up is people need to be able to reach a human when there's a problem. People frantically trying to save their money when they saw things started going crazy and were unable to get any help from Robinhood whatsoever. So I'm going to repeat advice I've given about Robinhood for a while, and that is Robinhood is a good platform for you if you're going to do micro-trading, if you're learning how the mechanics of investing work. But until Robinhood grows up, it is not a good platform for you if you're going to have substantial money invested in the market and at risk. I've talked before about the risk to you as an investor engaging in some of the more dangerous investing things like options trading that are really only for hyper-experienced investment professionals, but has been a big thing going on on the Robinhood platform and led people to remarkably large losses. And Robinhood now has a briefing for people telling them to be careful with that. But the reality is Robinhood has grown so fast that its founders who did an amazing thing by founding this platform have not recognized the responsibility that comes with this platform. So having smaller accounts with Robinhood, okay. But until Robinhood gets its customer no service platform working, it is a dangerous thing for you if you have substantial money. If you do have substantial money on the Robinhood platform, I encourage you to open a brokerage account with one of the discount brokers that also offers free trading and migrate most of your money so that you have much less at risk until Robinhood fixes this. Robinhood's response has been tone deaf and it's been past ugly for people who've seen their accounts wiped out. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com ask. Producers Kim and Joel take turns. And Kim, what are we starting with? Or who, should I say? <laughs> Today we're starting with LaShonda, and she's in Georgia. She says, for my 50th birthday, my 25-year-old daughter wants me to legally adopt her. Best gift ever. But now what? We aren't rich, so we need to figure out a reasonable way to do this. Clark, you know so much. Can you help? Wow. Um, this is this is really sweet. So uh, I'm gathering that who you refer to as your mom was like your unofficial mom and an unofficial daughter. So to make the thing real varies by state. In many states, you start at the Secretary of State's office. Others, uh, in fact, Kim, you, you, I see this note, you checked that in her state of Georgia, it would be at the Superior Court. The fees for you would be 250 bucks to petition for this. And lawyers who specialize in adoption say this is something you should never try yourself. But 
an adult adopting an adult essentially is something that people do on their own um, as long as they don't feel overwhelmed by the process. So I hope that you can navigate the system and that will help hold down the cost for you. And what a sweet, sweet birthday gift. Joel? Clark John in Oklahoma says, years ago when Clark started talking about Prosper and Lending Club, I was intrigued. And as soon as they were approved for my state, I began investing through Lending Club, getting a respectable 6% annual return since then. Yesterday, though, I logged into my account. I noticed an announcement that they're retiring the peer-to-peer lending program at the end of 2020. What do you know about this? Did the peer-to-peer lending experiment fail? Is this the signaling of the end of these programs? You know, I don't know how it's going to play out overall because after there were so many initial platforms, it became a shared monopoly of Lending Club and Prosper. Lending Club, has, uh, as you probably read in their announcement, has purchased a bank charter and is going to do um, uh, banking in a somewhat non-traditional way. And how that's going to emerge, I don't know. But, you know, I have my Lending Club and Prosper accounts that I opened just because I was getting so many questions about them from people who wanted to know if they should do so. And so I opened those accounts. I've had them for a good while. My return has been okay, but not outstanding with both of them. I've earned a return on Lending Club of 5.88% over the years I've had an account with them. That accounts for people who've defaulted on notes and people who paid. So it's not a terrible return, but nothing that I would call a home run. So I'm sorry about the platform going away since it's something you have enjoyed. And I guess hope springs eternal. If you want, you can start uh, making loans to people on the Prosper platform until and unless they decide they want to pull the plug too. And your money is fine. They're going to try to get you to put your money with their bank holding company and do savings with them. But if you want, you can just cash out your position as the loans come due. Kim? Amy in Oregon says, I've listened to Clark for 20 years now and I respect all of his advice and credit him for my good financial footing. I appreciate that he recently admitted that he may have been wrong about raising the minimum wage. Is there any other significant subject that he has changed his mind on over the years? It's incredibly refreshing to hear an expert admit that they've changed their opinion over time as more information came in. And I think it would be helpful for listeners to hear other examples of where Clark may have changed his mind. Wow. So uh, let me go to personal stuff now. I would say that the greatest pivots I've made in my outlook happened from when I was diagnosed with cancer approximately 12 years ago. That that was the thing that let me know that uh, life has a termination date. And I want you to know I'm doing fine and my cancer's not growing. I'm, I'm doing really well with that. And But I, it did cause 
real changes in what I'd say were somewhat cavalier attitudes on my part. Um, one thing I used to say is my time is worth nothing. And from, from getting the diagnosis, I had cancer forward. I learned that my time was worth something and it, time became much more precious to me and it caused the changes in my eating habits that you may have heard me talk about, which was something I was always joking about that I never met a vegetable that I liked and I've lost 50 pounds since I found out I had cancer 12 years ago and I've looked you know, I've done other things. I mean, who would have thought that I'd be doing yoga? Because that's the kind of thing I always made fun of and called yogurt. And acupuncture. I mean, these things that I've done show that over a lifetime, we do change in ways that we don't anticipate. Nobody can make us change. But many times we do change our attitudes and our outlooks on our own. And I guess those are examples of it is for things that are public policy, like the minimum wage thing. I don't know. I'd really have to think about that side some more because the biggest changes in me have been the things that were positions that I had personally. Joel? Clark Bill in Oregon says, recently you responded to a listener's question regarding Vanguard's new investing platform. About the new platform, you said, this is only a net positive. I've never seen anything that makes it look negative. Well, here's one. The new platform's arbitration requirement. Have you seen that? Oh, what is Vanguard doing? First, they make it tough for people to find a customer service number to call. You have to go through a series of questions before the number pops up. Or if you got paper statements, you can see a number there. But you can't just see it on the website. And now they're ending your ability that if you had a dispute with them to sue them. And I don't like some of the attitudinal changes coming from Vanguard, obviously, like these. Judy joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Judy. How are you doing? Hello, Clark. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Well, great to have you here. And you have a refinance question for me that comes with a couple of unusual twists. I do. With today's low rates, I'm so tempted to consider refinancing, but we are near the end of our our mortgage run. We only have about seven and a half years left to pay off, and we only owe about 62000 left, and our current rate's 3.65. I know I can get it lower, but I don't even know if banks would entertain such low terms. There's really no move for you here. I mean, you don't owe a big balance. You don't want to pay the closing costs that would be involved in doing a refi. And lenders usually aren't interested in you till a loan balance of 110000 or more. There's no reason you would want to go backwards and take on additional debt. And the good thing is your rate is, although it's above market, what today's market is, it's not a huge rate at all. So... I would feel comfortable if I were you not worrying about the fact that the rates may be uh, potentially as much as a uh, not quite a point lower, but lower, and just pay this loan off as agreed because I don't see the math for you refining. Were you looking to do 
any work around your home that you needed extra money or anything like that? Or is your real goal to take this loan that you got seven plus years on and just be done with it? We'd rather be done. Okay. So the payment per month is how much? Just under 900 is the principal and interest. And are you in a position that you, since you're interested in refining, are you in a position to throw extra money at it each month, or is seven and a half years pretty much what you're going to need to do and stay on the schedule of having another 90 months to go? We could probably throw a little more each month. As long as you're also saving money in retirement accounts and all that, I would say that's the better move for you is just uh, pay extra against it because your savings can't earn anywhere near 3.65% now. So paying extra towards this gets you a guaranteed return, not a big one, but a guaranteed return of 3.65%, and just cut that loan term shorter since a refi would not make financial sense right now. The math just isn't with you. But the great math that's with you is you don't owe a lot, you don't have a high rate, and you don't have a lot of years left on it. It's great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you being empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you have. So a quick update for you if you are a small business owner and you took out a payroll protection program loan. I said a couple of weeks ago that the uh, Treasury had announced that they were ready finally to accept applications for loan forgiveness. Well, they said they were ready, but they weren't, and banks that you took your loan from that have to process them don't want to process them. They're on um, strike, essentially, at the banks, waiting to see if Congress, what looks like it'll be after the election, maybe a lame duck session of Congress, passes a uh, loan forgiveness provision for loans that are smaller that you won't have to document, they'll just be forgiven. Till that, till something happens, nothing really is going to move forward with processing loan forgiveness, except now loans that are less than $50,000 qualify for a new ultra-streamlined process to request forgiveness, a new form that won't take much time at all, really, most any time at all. And a lot of people that were small businesses did take out loans less than 50000 And so uh, hope springs eternal that at some point eventually, really, Businesses will be able to ask for total or partial loan forgiveness, but right now it looks like the only daylight is for people with the loan sizes less than 50000 I want to tell you that there's some difficulties afoot if you're thinking of going out and buying a vehicle. The default rate or delinquency rate, whichever way the stats are referred to, for vehicle loans has been rising quite a bit, especially for loans for people with lower credit scores. So the lower credit scores have put up a special blinking light, essentially, that is between a flashing yellow and a red light on being able to borrow to take out a loan on a vehicle 
if your credit score is not super high. Now, what's happening is that if people go to a dealer where roughly two-thirds of people now finance a vehicle at a dealer, which is a big improvement because it used to be somewhere around 80%, but the word's slowly getting out that the terms and conditions and rate for a loan are usually higher arranging a vehicle loan at a dealer than it is if you do the legwork in advance, like I want you to go uh, principally and preferably to a credit union to arrange financing. And failing a credit union membership, bank loans are inferior, but you can go to a bank to get a higher cost than a credit union loan, but generally superior to what you'd get from a car dealer. And the dealer can always be given an opportunity to match. But people who have uh, rough credit feel like they're like a wounded duck borrower, don't have the confidence typically to go to a credit union or bank in advance and become a sitting duck at a dealer at a time that the loans are getting harder to secure when your score is not high enough. So I want you to really rethink this process. There are credit unions that do sliding scale interest rates where it's not as much they approve you or decline you for a vehicle loan, but they write it based on the risk that you represent, how much down payment you have, that sort of thing. So if you go to a dealer today to arrange a loan and your credit is not stellar, paying a stated interest rate of around 25% will not be unusual at all. But at the same time, as I've seen in contract after contract, for people without great credit, on top of that high interest rate, the dealer pretends there are all kinds of mandatory extras you have to pay for in order to get that loan. And it just tears at my heart that over and over again, I see these loans that dealers have made to people with bad credit where someone can pay on time for years and they'll still owe more than they started with what the vehicle originally cost because of all the optional extras that they were told were mandatory. So you are putting yourself in harm's way if you go in defeated up front and feel like, well, I can't go into a credit union. I mean, look at my score. Uh Uh-uh. It's not the way this game's going to be played if you want to protect your wallet. You go to your credit union, see what they require. Some of the credit unions have uh, special partnerships for people with lower credit where they work with you to improve your credit or teach you more about personal finance as a condition for you getting a decent loan instead of a terrible loan. And I know this is not a popular thing that I've said in the past, but if you're facing taking out a very high loan, high interest cost loan, I'd much rather you take whatever cash you were putting towards a down payment and buy an old beat-up car that you can pay cash for so that you don't owe anybody a loan at all and what you would have been paying per month in a loan payment, one of those high interest rate loans, you start stashing that cash every month 
to build up a real supply of money so that next time when that beat up vehicle that I get you to buy for cash dies, you've got a reserve of money that puts you in a much better condition to buy your next vehicle. It's time for your questions for me that you posted at clark.com slash ask. And Kim, I think it's your turn. You are correct. And this is from Curtis in Kentucky. Curtis says, recently you talked about pedal cards and other cards that don't use traditional credit scores as a criteria in order to get a card. Does this mean that my credit freeze won't protect me? Oh, man. Think about how for years I've been talking about, want to set up credit freeze, credit freeze, credit freeze, because it's how you protect yourself from somebody applying for credit as if they're you. Then in the last three years, I've been talking about all the newfangled ways that you're being evaluated for credit that no longer are relying on your credit report, using alternative methods and means to evaluate your credit. So what's good in one case turns out bad in the other because now you could have the possibility of somebody slipping through the cracks with a lender who does not use credit reports and credit scoring to evaluate you. And in the case of this card I've talked about for as long as they've been around, they use alternative means, but they're, they don't say they don't check your credit. But they've got a briefing on what things they do to try to validate that you really are who you say you are, including this goofy thing where they, if they're having trouble validating you, they may ask you to submit a self-video. I don't know what kind of criteria they're able to use that video to validate your real identity. But you bring up a very valid point, and that is as lenders lose faith or try alternative methods other than using your credit report and scores to determine who's credit worthy and who's not, we may have criminals exploit that to pretend to be someone whose credit is frozen and they're still able to get credit as if they're you because of the alternative ways lenders, lenders are evaluating you. Joel? Clark, uh, Dylan in Florida says, I've been building my credit, cutting expenses to hopefully save up for a house to live in and eventually rent out. I love the show and enjoy being money savvy. I'm 25. I contribute to my Roth 401k. And now I'm looking into opening a savings account, possibly with a credit union or an online bank. My friend recently sent me a link to BlockFi, which apparently is a higher interest savings account, but geared towards Bitcoin. The industry of Bitcoin is interesting, but uh, I don't quite fully understand it so do you know anything about BlockFi in particular so there are they are one of a number of organizations that are filling this breach where people are getting just clobbered by extremely low interest rates in real savings accounts and cds that are fdic insured this is not an fdic insured account it is a form of high-risk investing, even though it's presented as if it's just an alternative way to earn interest on your money. And these are growing like weeds right now in a marketplace where people are suffering shock from interest rates that have fallen so extremely low. So this is not anything equivalent to 
a traditional savings account or CD and is not something anybody who's worried about losing money in what they have should ever get involved in. Kim? Kimberly in Georgia says, so in this pandemic, many jobs were lost. And if you were not working and your rank got behind, how long are you allowed to stay in your place? Do landlords have the right to change the locks and keep your belongings? Well, let me deal with the last part first. No, landlords cannot change the locks. They can't do what's called a self-help eviction. And they don't get to keep your stuff either. Um, But landlords are in most cases prohibited from evicting anyone till 21. As long as you petition properly to avoid an eviction. And I've talked before about using the free tool at Hello Landlord to fill out the paperwork that is designed to prevent an eviction this year. The CDC has a fill-in-the-blank form at cdc.gov that is designed to prevent an eviction this year. And this is a, um, a thing that apparently there are cases around the country where landlords are ignoring the CDC rules. But as long as you stand up for yourself, you've done the paperwork, and you show up in court, you should be protected through the end of the year. Dace is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Dace, I'm so impressed and interested in how you want to build your home. Talk about it. Hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I decided to build a shipping container home because I could get more bang for my buck. So I'm they're they're really area. they're really fascinating. I mean, I you think about how you're solving a problem for us as a country as we import more goods than we export and these shipping containers pile up unloved everywhere and it's even an area of architecture now taking these shipping containers and turning them into alternative uses. There's one right near me that is a coffee shop sandwich shop kind of thing and it's really cool what they've done with that container so how much do you end up saving like how much more effective use of every dollar do you get doing a shipping container home versus traditional construction well i can't do an exact breakdown it depends on the area you live in but i'm using 21 uh eight by uh, 40 high cube shipping containers to build a three-story home at the beach. Wow. And I'm also planning on, once I move in, to then rent out um, up to a month or two a year to bring in a revenue stream for the vacationers. Very smart. But there's a problem. What's the problem? I am having trouble finding a lender. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know... Bankers are so traditionally risk-averse, and if something doesn't fit their normal check marks, they're scared of it, and they just won't do it. Um, Let me give you, I'm going to give you several ideas, and I don't know if any of the ideas I'm going to give you are going to be helpful, or if I've just sent you down a dead end. First, this comes in the category of what real estate investors call a mezzanine loan which um, in the old days, banks used to be local 
and you'd walk into the main office of a bank and the first floor would be a normal banking floor and the second floor would be the mezzanine would be where the decision makers were at the bank the president the head loan officer that kind of stuff when you're doing something that does not fit normal check marks it's completely that kind of loan so in the area you want to build at the beach you need to find if you can find one a locally owned bank and meet with the president of that bank and tell them what you want to do and see if they'll make a loan to you that would be what's known as an in-portfolio construction loan where they keep it in-house on their books because you go to any bigger bureaucratic bank they're never going to consider doing a loan for you period um in the area where you're building this do you are you aware if there's any small local banks um i think there is i've been trying to find one now the usda does rural loans and they will accept shipping container homes but i have too much money now so i couldn't qualify for that anymore um and i've also been told that Freddie Mae, Fannie Mac will not buy these loans. So I can that's, understand that's why, why they're saying, that's why they're what I called in portfolio that they right. which means they're held by the financial institution. That's why you need to go and uh, if you've got uh, drawings, the architectural drawings, whatever, you need to go with as much solid information to a um, bank president as you can. Now, um, failing that, you want to go to a mortgage broker who deals with uh, a lot of different lenders, and you could end up with a private loan by an individual who's willing to take on what is a higher than normal market risk. But you're better off if you can get one with a um, small local bank because a private lender, typically a wealthy individual, is going to charge you a well above market interest rate to do that loan may do construction to permanent but it's going to carry a higher than market rate the third suggestion i have is there's a lot of um, websites geared towards people doing things with um, shipping containers and i would go to those websites and discussion boards and see if you can find out from other people how they've solved this riddle of getting the financing. You're a pioneer uh, pretty much in this, and so you got to be extra creative to get the financing done. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.